Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like you to look behind me on the wall. What do you see? The cross, exactly. The reason why you see the cross and the reason why that cross stands alone is because it is a central message of Christianity that all people, all people have access to God through faith in Jesus Christ, who was crucified on a cross 2,000 years ago. From the time that the Apostle Paul met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, from that point on his, in his life, all of his life, all of his ministry was consumed with what he called the message of the cross and proclaiming it. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Today, Palm Sunday, we are going to look at the actual account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we are going to get help from the Apostle Paul as we look at that account to answer the question, what does the death of Jesus on the cross a long time ago have to do with us today? What does the death of Jesus Christ on the cross a long time ago have to do with us today? So we're going to begin by, first of all, looking at a passage from the Apostle Paul. So if you can turn with, your, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It is on page 966, if you're using your pew Bible. And we are going to be reading on chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, from uh, verse 14 down to verse 21. Begin in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In this passage about right in the middle, beginning in verse 18, Paul uses five words to sum up everything we need to know as we look at the crucifixion of Jesus. And those five words at the beginning of verse 18, it says, All this is from God. All this is from God. As we look at the crucifixion, we need to keep in mind that God was in control of all of it. He knew everything that was going on. He orchestrated all of it. 
whether those things that people saw with the crucifixion, whether the things that were happening in heaven that we didn't see, whatever happened, God was in control of all of it. All of it was from God. But what Paul is also telling us through these surrounding passages, and we're going to be looking at this as we go through the account of Jesus' crucifixion, Paul is also telling us that it is not just all this is from God, but all of this is for us. God has done all of this for us. So what I would like to do now is return to the account of Jesus' crucifixion. And we're going to look at, um, in Mark, and we're going to turn to Mark 15. It's the beginning of your pew Bible. If you have, uh, It's on page 852. And we're going to start by reading verse 21 through 32. Mark 15, verse 21. And they had compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. To give a little context, we have been walking through, since the beginning of Lent, we've been walking through Mark, really walking through the last week, the last days of Jesus' life. We are now within the last hours of his life, as he is now taking his cross and going to be crucified. The bearing of that weight of that cross, because of what he has been through, most likely physically, is, he can't even take it anymore. And so someone is asked to actually help him to carry the cross to where he is going to be crucified. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. And they offered him with wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. I want you to take a look at how Mark describes the actual physical crucifixion of Jesus. Because I want you to note that in look at verse 24, Mark simply says in verse 24, and they crucified him. And then in verse 25, again, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. That is all Mark tells us about the crucifixion itself. There are no other details. In fact, all four Gospels, consistently, all they tell us about the event of the crucifixion is simply, they crucified him. They don't go into any of the physical details, any of the anguish and horrendous pain that Jesus must have felt on the cross. If you think about the crucifixion of Jesus, most of you probably have in your mind watching a movie like The Passion. Or you're going to Easter dramas where you see Jesus being crucified. Or you see a symbol of Jesus hanging on the cross. Most often when we think about crucifixion, we're thinking about physically what the pain that Jesus went through. And yet what's interesting here is that does not seem to be where the Gospels want to point us. They want to point us to something else. And I want to take a look at that. 
So I want you to listen as, you, as we walk through this passage we just read. Notice, for example, in verse 24. After saying, and they crucified him, it says, and they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Look at verse 29. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Or verse 31. So also the chief priests with scribes mocked him to one another. Or the very last passage where you actually have the two robbers on both sides of Jesus who do what? They, it says those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So when we look at it, there's something else the Gospels want us to see about what's happening with Jesus. And what that is, is there's something about the crucifixion. There's a reason why Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago. There was a horrendous way of killing people in those days called the crucifixion. And in fact, the crucifixion of someone was unique in the way in which it shamed its victims. The purpose was the shaming of the victim that was on the cross. And what I want to do is I'm going to read to you a description of what that crucifixion was like. And this comes from Fleming Rutledge, where she just came out with a new book. She's an author. She's a pastor, a preacher, a little bit of a theologian. She just came out with a new book all about the cross, um, that she's actually spent her entire life work um, in doing this. And she vividly describes what the crucifixion was like. We do not today have anything like this in this entire world. So think about what Jesus went through as I read this to you. So she says, Crucifixion as a means of execution in the Roman Empire had as its express purpose the elimination of victims from consideration as members of the human race. It was meant to indicate to all who might be toying with subversive ideas that crucified persons were not of the same species, as either the executioners or the spectators, and were therefore not only expendable, but also deserving of ritualized extermination. Therefore, the mocking and jeering, and we just heard about how the Gospels focused on what others were doing to Jesus, the mocking and jeering, that accompanied the crucifixion were not only allowed, they were part of the spectacle and were programmed into it. In a sense, The crucifixion was a form of entertainment. Everyone understood that the specific role of the passerby was to exasperate the dehumanization and degradation of the person who had been thus designated to be a spectacle. Crucifixion was cleverly designed, we might say diabolically designed, to be an almost theatrical enactment of the sadistic and inhumane impulses that lie within human beings. According to the Christian gospel, the Son of God voluntarily and purposefully absorbed all that, drawing it unto himself. And so when we read a few minutes ago what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, where he said, for our sake he made him to be sin who was no sin. It means Jesus suffered not just that physical pain, But really what Jesus suffered there even more so was the shame that human beings have inflicted on one another. And that above all, above all, that shame was inflicted on the one 
who had no reason to ever have that shame inflicted on him. The one who was the most innocent had the entire shame of, the, of humanity inflicted to him at that point in time. Keeping that in mind, I want us to continue to read in Mark. Let's take a look at Mark 15, verses 33 through 34. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those last words of Jesus on the cross, that cry that came from Jesus is known as the cry of dereliction. Those words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those last words of Jesus were the first words of David in Psalm 22 that Jesus is crying that out from. Why is he crying that out? Well, because in addition to taking on that shame of humanity that we just talked about, God's Son has also chosen to take upon himself all the sin of humanity and experience the full brunt of that consequence of taking on that sin, which was separation and abandonment by God. Romans 3.23, one that many of you know, says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Me, every single one of you, all of humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's interesting about sin is sin is always against God, but the way sin gets expressed so often is the way in which we treat others. If you have any doubt about whether there's still sin in the world, whether other people you know might have doubt is there really sin in the world, I think you only have to look to two things that we do so often to each other as humans. One of them is we blame others anytime we get a chance to try to put our re- the responsibility on someone else. And the second thing we do is we condemn or exclude others. Think about it. The very first consequence of the very first disobedience by the very first couple, Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, what was their first response? What did they, the very first thing they did was they blamed each other. They tried to take that judgment and put it onto someone else. They tried to dodge judgment. And that's what we do so often in blaming others. The other thing we often do is we condemn others. In fact, we often condemn each other so much that we will find someone who is different from us and try to condemn them and even try to condemn them to the point that we don't only exclude them, but we maybe even want to eliminate them altogether. If you look around our world today, this blaming, this condemning to the point of excluding others, we see it everywhere. We see it in our own personal lives. We see it publicly. We see it politically. We see it everywhere. And it just really shows the extent in which sin is so rampant still in our world. Sin separates us from God. 
And ultimately, because it separates from God, it destroys what God has created us to be, and it destroys our relationships with others. But, and here is the big but of Scripture, because of what Jesus took upon himself on the cross, Galatians 3.13 now says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone who hangs on the tree. Christ redeemed, took upon himself, paid the price, forgave us of that sin, that curse that was upon us. He, on the cross, took that fully upon himself so we would never and no longer need to have that curse on us. That sentence of, of that curse that, was a, that fell on him was ultimately, as I said before, all this is from God. God is orchestrating everything that's happening. And Jesus is God. He's part of that. But he's doing it all for us, all for our behalf, and he's doing it all in our place, freely as a second member of the Trinity. So as you think about the horrific experience that Jesus went to, all that he took upon himself, all the shame, all, yes, the physical pain, all the sin of humanity to the point that he himself was separated, experienced a separation from God, the irony, all this is taking place within God himself. Jesus was never, I mean, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all were together to accomplish this for us. And they all took it upon, and so it was all happening actually within the Godhead himself. Why did God do this? Why did the God who created us go through so much, die for us? Why did he do that? Why? And I want us to take a look at the answer to that. Because back in our passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us the answer. So turn back to where we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look at verse 18. Again, notice that it starts with, all this is from God. But then it tells us ultimately the whole reason for all of this. Why God did all of this. Why? Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. The reason why God did all this was so that relationship that was broken with him, we could now have that relationship with him. The God who created us, that we separated from with our sin. He has now died on the cross so we can be reconciled back into relationship with God and ultimately also to be reconciled with one another. So when you think about what we just read with that, when you think about that famous passage in John 3:16 where it says God so loved the world Maybe you have a little bit more of a sense of what kind of love that God has for us, that he would take upon this himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So I want to continue back in Mark and just read the last couple, couple verses in Mark. So go back, going back to Mark. I want to pick up on right after Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verse 35, 
It then says, And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The next verse, the next verse, right after this happens, when Jesus breathes his last, is Mark 15, 38. And it is in this verse that a cataclysmic event that has never happened in the history of the world happens. It says in verse 38, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Such a simple-sounding sentence. And yet what happened at the time that Jesus died on the cross was that God tore that curtain in the temple completely in two. That curtain was the curtain from all before that time was what separated what's called the Holy of Holies in the temple from the actual presence of God. No one could get even to that point of that that curtain except the high priest who could only do it once a year. So when Jesus died on the cross, when that curtain was torn completely in two, not only was that curtain torn in two, History was torn in two right down the line at that point in time. History changed at that point in time when Jesus breathed his last breath. That tearing of that curtain represents that now, just as I said at the beginning, all are now given, not just the high priest. All are given now access to God through Jesus Christ. Turning back now as we come to conclusions to 2 Corinthians 5.18 where we will um, conclude where we had all this is from God. Go back one sentence. And Paul says, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That old and new started right at the time that curtain tore in two when Jesus breathed his last. Everything was old now before that. We live in the new. Praise God. The old has passed away. And ultimately, as we just read, what that means is that all the shame that we've had, all the shame that was on humanity, all the shame that was on us personally, all of that shame has been wiped out. All of our sin has been wiped clean by the cross. All of the separation from God that we have experienced because of that sin has been replaced by our reconciliation with God. And so in verse 21, it says that we may become the righteousness of God. Ultimately, this all happens so we can become right with God. And how does that happen? That happens in verse 17, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We actually become a new creation. When we place our faith in this Son of God who died on the cross for us to take away our shame, to take away our sin, we actually become a new creation.
Remember, we start out by saying all this is from God and all of this is for us. Well, we've now seen that, what all God has done and what he has done for us. Now that we are that new creation in Christ, guess what? We have something to do. And if you take a look, Paul actually tells us, now that God's done this and reconciled us to him, here is what we're to do. And look at verse 18. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and what? And gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So now, every single one of us, now that we know Christ, we're that new creation in Christ, we all are given the, to the, actually the vocation of being an ambassador. If you're a one know, do I have something to do in my life? Well, ultimately, Paul's telling you, every one of you in Christ, you are now an ambassador to take this message we've been talking about this morning, this message about how much God loves us, this message about what he took upon the cross, Every one of us is to be now take that message and to go tell others that message. And Paul says that something else happened on that cross that tells us who we are supposed to go out and give that message to. Because now there are no distinctions. In Galatians 3.28, he tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. With that split that happened, there are no distinctions anymore among us and in Christ. There's no judging of others. There's no saying, I'm higher than you. There's no saying, hey, you're a guy, I'm a girl. There's no saying, hey, you're of this race, I'm of that race. All those distinctions are completely erased. We are all one now in Christ. And so we've been given that ministry of reconciliation to now go out and tell others Notice how Paul says that. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. And according to the flesh is the ways all of us typically try to sort of judge or blame or exclude um, or condemn others because they're somehow different. Paul says, it's gone. When that curtain got torn in two, it's gone. There are no more distinctions. As we're coming up upon Easter this week, I am not going to read the rest of this passage that goes to the conclusion of chapter 15. Because what I want you to do this week is when you go home this week, I want you to just read, maybe read all the way through again, all of chapter 15. But I want you to look as right after that curtain is torn. I want you to read how in the next couple verses, all the way up to just the beginning of chapter 16, you actually see those distinctions of Jew and Gentile, male and female, already starting to be broken down immediately after that curtain is torn. So take a look at that this week. And then I want to conclude where we began, which is to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again. The first two verses we started with reading, I want to conclude with that, thinking of how it sums up everything that Jesus has done on the cross for us. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. There's a version that says the love of Christ compels us. 
everything we do now should be compelled by the love of Christ. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live, that is all of us, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Amen.